podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. The Whistleblowers is back for the season by Labrooks. Welcome to another episode of Whistleblowers Podcast. Uh, I'm your co-host, I guess, Mark Smith, and I'm with another co-host, Martin, Martin Gritton. Martin Gritton. Did I say my own name? It sounds weird to yeah, say my own name. Let's not do that. Um, how, you, how you doing, Martin? You I'm right? good, mate. I'm good. I've been up for God knows how long. Just yeah. flew in on the red eye. I love saying that. just Because uh, you've come from America, like, so you've been yeah. on holiday in America. Holiday vacation. And then flew back in this morning from Newark, which was a schlep. And then <laughs> I picked up all these pilots. Yeah, no, speaking like an American. Now. Schmucks, a minute. Yeah, ago. what's happened to you? That's you're smuck. Uh, <laughs> it's, been, it's lovely to be back and drinking delicious Watneys. Delicious Watneys are so sponsored by Watneys, of course. Yeah, because that weak uh, American lager is just not doesn't cut the same way that Watneys no. does. So. Uh, now you've um, well, maybe you didn't miss any football, but there's been a lot of uh, action while you've been gone. Did you get a chance to watch it? I did. I love the way that it plays out in America because they can play you can the get three, up nice and early you and watch the early, six AMs. You know, and you can start drinking from like 7 a.m. and then, I'm joking you can, the, the fact that you can start watching football from 7 a.m. that's just a holiday thing for you that's just a daily thing <laughs> so you can yeah you can get in all the sport and then on a Saturday the college American football as well so it's yeah well, I did watch the the kind of the Thanksgiving NFL was really the it was a ridiculous game 51-54 there was like the, the, Kansas the City game. most absurd game was that the Chargers mm, and the, the, the both teams before. were 9 and it feels so long ago let's not dwell yeah. on that we're going to have to chew through but yeah in American sports I absolutely love them uh, particularly the, you know the coverage and the way they, they do it also. but you're back home now Grits back here mate and it's real football to talk about um, and no better place to start I think than the uh, the Spurs-Chelsea game Oof, that yeah. was a banger wasn't it wasn't it that was excellent <laughs> um, I mean Spurs I don't want to say yet again but again prove that on their day as a first 11 we keep saying this time and time again but on their day as a first 11 they're probably only behind City in this in this league. Yeah. And that really showed against Chelsea. Chelsea, yes, have got um, tr- troubles of their own in midfield. They've got a wonderful sort of squad depth in centre midfield, but they're not quite sure what they're doing with it. What did you see in that game that would make you worry as a Chelsea fan? Uh, well, I think, to be honest, it's one of those games where Sarri might look at it and say he's learnt a lot. He, I, I, it was more alarming that he didn't address some of the weirdness that went on in the game while it was happening because he has the he has the tools and the bench to do that but I think he'll have learnt a lot from just kind of the performances I mean Luis Luis has always been a liability I mean, what would a guy know, never call him a PlayStation footballer <laughs> <laughs> it's, like, it's like someone's controlling him on PlayStation. Yeah, but I, I do sort of get that. My mate was in the youth. Right, this. My mate was in the youth team at Man United. And this, this is what I sort of played Gary Neville was. Though he's an ass. Um, <laughs> uh, hopefully, I never come across him in a professional capacity. I mean, he was an ass. I love Gary Neville. So yeah, but him and Phil used to go in the youth team dressing room at Man United and go right. You four out here, and so in this, and they'd train in the morning, and then in the afternoon they'd make these youth team players run down the touchline, yeah. and they'd chase them and hook tackle them into the into <laughs> touch. Just. <laughs> Smash him. So they'd spend the afternoon and he'd be like, That's that was a good one, Phil. That was oh, you did well there. Just these like 15, 16 year old lads getting, getting leveled. But but they almost had to run away from them and they had to yeah, hunt yeah. them down and smash him into the touch. And what was Chase Neville doing at this point? Uh Chase Neville's probably had a stopwatch and was timing them. That's fair. I would enough. imagine. Listen, let's let's you know Leave Tracy out stay of it. Stay in our lane. Just stay <laughs> in your lane. Another just that that difference. Like Louis has incredible assets and but there is the the things that he does badly, he does as bad as a Sunday league footballer. The things he does good are as good as any footballer in the Premier League. So uh, that's the anomaly that is but I mean, it's, it's the sort of cliche of Brazilian footballers, isn't it? Bra- yes. Bra- Brazilian, Brazilian defensive footballers who, 
um, with the exception of only a few really in, in recent history, have been technically perfect, but not quite no. not quite well, switched on. I mean, that, 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 the, the Son goal, the third Spurs goal, I think it was the third one, that challenge that Luis puts in is just... It's nothing. No. He literally may as well not have been on the pitch at that point. And he's your covering centre-back with no one else in the box. Well, There's no, no attackers in the box at that point. There, well, it, it, was, it was madness. Yeah, me. it's mad. It's mad because let's, let's look at it as a, a strategic thing as well. So the goalkeeper gets undermined by his, basically someone that should be a rock in front of him. That's... Oh, so for the for the Harry Kane goal, yeah, and but just in t- in terms of the whole performance, right, that okay. undermines the you know a young goalkeeper that's trying to. I mean, De Gea kind of had it in his first season. De Gea was kind of a nervous. I'm, not, I'm, taking, oh, yeah, I'm taking away to another place, but uh, the fact that you know he's not got that in front of him. But to be fair, like you know, Sari might. Uh, we'll see what he does because I love him as a coach. I think he's brilliant. Oh, same. And um, I, and you say Pock. Some everyone's lauding Pock for the Sissoko decision Poch. and. Uh, it's Poch, I, I mean, Sane, Sane, whatever. Um, but the <laughs> the thing about it is, it's it's Poch seems to be more of a man of like he's pragmatic, but he 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 deals he'll persist with the hand that he's got, you yep. know, and he'll make it work. And th- I, I admire him a lot for that. But I don't want to. If Sissoko is the answer, I don't necessarily know what the question but is. Is Poch is Poch sticking with it because he? Wants to, or because of lack of options. No, that's that's it. And, and exactly. if, if Poch had the uh, Chelsea midfield, would he be? He, he wouldn't be sort of stoically uh, selecting, you know, the same three yeah, in no. there. He, he'd, he'd be he'd be chopping and changing. It's only because he's got limited options. That's just, and Sissoko, by the way, yeah, we give him a stick. But he had a good game on, oh, on, on Saturday. But it's, I think that's more through it's more through accident than design that yeah. Pochettino's. Sticking with certain I, I, t- I, I do agree to some extent. I read uh, John. If anyone hasn't read Jonathan Lewis' piece on it, it's just like literally about Sissoko. It's amazing, um, and kind of sums it up how Sissoko has a better game the more the other team have the ball. And it's this weird sort of mm. anomaly that where he can dictate a game when he's not got the ball rather yeah. than when he's got it. Because when he's got it, he doesn't look like he wants it. And then the difference in in him as a player since since he sort of burst onto the scene at Newcastle and like this sort of flying winger. Mm. And now he's someone who's quite a composed, you know, on the ball, quite composed yeah. and off the ball, just energy and just, you know, enthusiasm. It's not, it's not, doesn't feel like the same player at all. No. And that, I don't know how much is to do with Poch on that, but. Well, Poch has had this squad for a few years now and I know Soko came in, but he knows, he knows his players and he's kind of, uh, to be only be five points behind City is incredible, and let's give Sari some time. I think by the, you know uh, Klopp, we did not give him much time. You know, everyone wanted results off him. What is this? Is this Klopp's third season now? Uh, I think it is. Yeah, it's Guardiola's yeah, so I mean, third, like, isn't it? So, yeah. So I mean, no, it's Klopp's fourth. It's his fourth. Crikey! Yeah, he came halfway through the season. So I mean, that's a pretty, you know, and look what he's achieved in that time. Absolutely. So Sari, I, if I was a Chelsea fan, I wouldn't be too worried at the minute. No, definitely. So uh, short turnaround, and he's got an identity in the team already. Yeah. Um, other noticeable, yeah, or notable uh, results this weekend just gone. Um, <sighs> I mean, United at home to Palace. Oh, it was horrible, wasn't it? Yeah, we don't just stick for too that. long, but that was that seemed like a poor performance from United at home in front of a team that has lost what is it six out of the last seven. It felt like uh, Mourinho's selection as well was so weird because he. Uh, <sighs> what he'd achieved with sort of the dyna- dynamic selection with putting Rashford in the centre. He kind of went away from that again, having Mata, Lukaku. There was too many ifs in that team, you know, mm. with uh, Jess Lingard. Let's let's take nothing away from Roy Hodgson because Roy Hodgson 
against the top six, it delivers. Absolutely. And he's brilliant. I love it. I've got a lot of time for him. So uh, all the credit to Palace in that one. And they they, they actually they probably should have won that game as well. I, a, a, couple of, a couple of good chances. Uh, Man City, I mean, they are uh, similar to United. Not much to say, really. No. Just they... At a canter. Just steamrolled through an, yet another... Decent team as well. West Ham at home. They're not. That's not an easy proposition. No. It was for the first year at that stadium, but now it's. You know, they've got big players who perform. Yeah, perform well in big games. Again, and... another great piece from Jack Pitbrook, another friend of the pod. He uh, writes about Laporte and just says, you know, for a player that's never had an international cap, what he's brought to Man City defensively. Listen, you don't. The beauty, the luxury of playing for Man City means that you can be very niche in what you bring and it can yeah. make a lot of difference because the rest of the players are just playing to the peak. But let's, we've seen it happen before. Some mad things can happen in football and I wouldn't put it past, you know, De Bruyne is, yeah, the fact that he's not been playing this season. You forget he's even yeah, missing yeah, though. This, is, this is the thing. So we'll see what happens, but yeah, it's, it's I hate that saying, but it's theirs to lose. Well, yeah, do you, I mean, so if you're to pick another team to rival them, is it Liverpool? Well, this is the thing. Liverpool, in terms of the fact that they know how to play against it, they're the ones that can beat City. Tottenham don't, I don't think Tottenham can beat City. So I don't agree with this. Tottenham might be better in terms of the league delivery. So I imagine you're basing that analysis of Liverpool when they play each other. On on last season. When, to me, that was uh, all of the the games uh, between City and Liverpool were games where... uh, Man City played the way they'd played against other teams in that game. and They didn't play Liverpool like Liverpool were a threat. Yeah. This season, I think you saw the opposite of that. City yeah. get them more respect and I think actually dominated the game and should have won at Anfield. And, okay, Mahrez misses the penalty. But that game, to me, was a clear... That's a boxing fight. City win on points quite comfortably. And I think what you'll see at the Etihad, again, is, is that Man City will will dominate them. Mm. I now feel there's a bigger gap between City and Liverpool, purely because City have improved so much this season. Yeah. Liverpool have also improved, but not to the same extent. So the gap is getting bigger. Yeah, no, you're right. I, I think the one thing that Liverpool did do well was they put doubt in your mind where there was no doubt before. So yeah. they, they do have the ability to put players under pressure that are not comfortable under pressure. You're right in saying that City have been able to deal with that better. And even the way that I think, well, you know, they... they they're happy just to win games now. They're not happy. Yeah. To, they don't need to destroy teams for 90 minutes. They'll play for 60 and then conserve themselves, which is a, a game management. And it might even be Absolutely. a, a pep decision in terms of how they approach the Champions League. And, and, also, work out. and, and, and the pep decision of, of essentially trying to make his team uncounterattackable is basically how you play against Liverpool. Because Liverpool hurt yeah, you on the that's break. absolutely right. And, and yeah. if you give Liverpool a chance to counterattack, they will murder you, no yeah. matter who you are. So to make, I feel like he's made this entire system now for this season specifically to counterattack, to, to, to counter that Liverpool counter-attack. threat, to, to counterattack the counterattack, <laughs> uh, and it, it makes it exciting because Liverpool again looked um, looked good this weekend at, at Watford, and Watford have been superb at times this season. Yeah, no, and uh, maybe they should have had a penalty at nil nil Watford, but they didn't, and, and Liverpool in the end won it comfortably. Well, the fact if Man's if Pellegrini isn't bringing Andy Carroll on at 3 0 down, when is he bringing him on? Because I was <laughs> livid uh, yeah. after selecting from a fantasy football team. It's uh, like throwing, just like throwing, I don't care who you are, if you just throw a wardrobe at someone, they can't deal with it. That's what Andy Carroll was bringing to Laporte. Laporte would have got his uh, gums bloodied uh, in that. <laughs> <laughs> I love that expression. Yeah. Gums bloodied by Get Andy Carroll. Sure. You've got that tattooed, so, haven't you, on your back? Yeah, yeah. that's it. Um, I'd also just talk very briefly about uh, Arsenal at Bournemouth. 
Um, mm. Again, Bournemouth, a tough Got place to go at the yeah, moment. Yeah, really tough. And Arsenal seem like they've got some teeth this season. Josh King's goal was oh. sensational. Lovely. Just lovely. There was, a, there was an inevitability about it as well. The counter-attack, I was watching, I was just going, they're going to score here. And when he got it, just every, they did everything right. They're mm. just like, so they are very precise. But Arsenal are a force to be reckoned with. Do you think they are? Yeah, I really top do. Four side this year? I do. I, do. I, I think because I, the one thing getting rid of, I don't like saying that actually, not getting rid of Wenger. The, the one thing about Wenger leaving is the fact that he, the doubt that went around Arsenal could perhaps be buried with him. You know, like taking that fall on his sword a little bit because yeah, yeah. I don't think, I think the doubt in those players still exists. I think Arsenal fans would probably agree with me with Mustafi and a few of the other guys that they just probably haven't made their mind up about Socrates. Socrates, sorry, I should say. Socrates, like calling him that. Yeah, easy for you to say. Um, <laughs> so there's a few ones where the, the jury's still out, but up front they're just irresistible. Uh, what yeah. was the? There was someone tweeted. Uh, uh, what they were basically did a portmanteau of Mkhitaryan and Walcott, just comparing them in terms of effect, effectiveness for uh, for the the team, and I, I find that quite ironic. That <laughs> you know you bring in you get rid of a player like Walcott, you bring in Mkhitaryan, and, and the end result is probably about the same. So. Yeah, there seems to be there's no improvement or decline at no. all. There, it's just uh, like, essentially like for like swip. He's younger. Yeah, Mkhitaryan. I mean, he you don't play that well for a team the size of Dortmund without having some oh, no, top ability. Play. And yeah. the, there have been games where he's looked a million dollars. He looks brilliant. But it's just one of those things. And, and there's still that... It feels like a, a throwback to Wenger's reign. I know that he wasn't necessarily a big Wenger signing, but him and Ozil are the sort of players who you know will go missing. They have mm. the ability to go missing for 90 minutes at a time. And yeah. that is dangerous. And that's what I think Emery's trying to bring in, yeah. players that even on an average day are having... Seven out of ten games, no, you're right. and they're putting in a shift. Yeah, so that so we'll it, it makes that. you worry for Ozil in the long term under Emery. Even though he signed this new, you know, bumper deal, I'm not sure Emery even necessarily will yeah. be a respecter of that. No, correct. We'll see how that pans out. Uh, I mean, we've looked at the games of the weekend just gone. Coming up this weekend, uh, it's sort of the start of Christmas football, which to me is the greatest time of the year. It really is. Yeah, yeah. I mean, imagine what we'd be doing now if it was a mid-season break. Mm. It'd be devastating. Mm. Are you are you, a, are you a advocate for uh, for winter well, breaks, or are you happier with the schedule as it is? To be honest, because let me just run you through this. So, so we've got a game on Friday night, then Saturday the first. We've got games on the Sunday the second, mm. Tuesday the fourth, Wednesday the fifth, Saturday the eighth, Sunday the ninth, tenth, fifteenth, sixteenth. There's this game it's is non-stop. Story of Jesus. It's, it's just the story <laughs> it of Jesus. It's like 26 days of Christmas, Jesus and it's would all be a just Premier League fan. I just love it. I love this time of year because by the end of like by the middle of January, when there's that little sort of 10 day break, there is players that are so tired that that's when you have the mad games, the three or four threes. Robo Cup. It's Argentina beating Ireland. Yeah. It's you know Fiji battering Scotland. Anything can happen. <laughs> it's so, it's so much fun, and I just have. Great memories of, of watching it as a kid. This this time of this time of the year for football is just anything can happen. Who knows? But I love and there's the romance about it from a fan's perspective. Like kind of everyone, you getting home to like I'm going to visit my brother in Derby. You being a Derby fan, you know this. But going to the game with my brother and my dad on a on a Boxing Day cold crisp Boxing Day, you know, morning even sometimes because yeah, yeah, yeah. some of the Derby matches incredible. Really. Even my experiences as a player, my first game for Grimsby was uh, against Macclesfield. Uh, 
uh, on Boxing Day, and I remember the and the kit man wouldn't give me a long sleeve. It was freezing. It was like as cold as it gets. Grimsby doesn't freeze because the salt air somehow keeps the pitch from freezing. Yeah. So I'm stood there going, the any chance of pitch, a long sleeve shirt? And he goes, nah, the club shop's shut. Uh, can't, kit man said this to me, I can't get you one. I went, what do you mean you can't get me a long sleeve shirt? He went, you're Scottish, you should be used to the cold weather. And I went, Really? Really? Yeah, I was you, like, you up on the just, south of so I literally, t- and ironically, the, the, the who played up front, John Parkin was playing up front for Macclesfield that day, and he was well insulated from the cold, so he was... <laughs> not, not an issue. <laughs> it was a bizarre, bizarre first game. But yeah, no, um, I love Christmas football. It's And you're right, look what happens. Uh, you know, we all go mad when the international break happens, so it's yeah. it's, it's a beautiful it's time. It's the antidote for that, isn't it? It really is. Uh, before we go into uh, a more detailed preview of, of the games coming up, uh, you mentioned Macclesfield there. Um, uh, yes. News today from Macclesfield, they've, they've hired uh, Sol Campbell. Big yes. Sol is now manager. He's got on a, a 18-month contract. Him. Amazing. They're currently bottom of League Two, I believe. Yeah. They're... Uh, seven points off. So he's, he's in there with a... I suppose carte blanche really to, to bring in some new ideas and, and do what he wants. What, what do you make noir, of that? Carte noir. Perhaps. Carte noir, okay. Yeah, what do you, yeah well, okay. So, well, this is what I was going to say. Yeah, so I, why, why do you mention that? Macclesfield, I've got nothing but admiration for the fact that they've appointed Paul Ince, Keith Alexander, and it's... it's, it's in my eyes, it shouldn't be about race, but unfortunately, it does rear its head when giving guys opportunities. Um, but this is a positive story. It's a great story. So I really hope that Saul does well when he goes in there and gets to implement. It's a very difficult thing after playing for Stockport and Diddy Haman coming to that level and going, I want to implement these things as a coach and finding it difficult. Um, after playing, Paul ain't signed me uh, at Macclesfield. I played under Keith Alexander at Macclesfield. I know kind of how that club operates he's got the opportunity to and the platform to do well but it's, it's going to be tough for him yeah, but yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm I'm delighted to see him get a job because he's been banging on doors for you know six what six months two years for the toilet party a lot of the time well yeah that too <laughs> I mean he might have to go to Cheshire deep Cheshire and Orderly Edge <laughs> yeah, to find some Tories Mike Stett and Mac Town because uh, yeah. John Bruin will be chasing him if not <laughs> <laughs> without getting too deep into uh, sort of racial politics of football um, what do you think is what do you think this says about Macclesfield as a club? And also, what do you think about... So, In my opinion, football is generally a meritocracy in that the best people will, will rise to the top. Yeah. And that footballers actually are uh, happy with whoever's leading as long as they're leading well. Now, in your experience as, as a footballer, would you subscribe to that? Or do you think there will be divisions within the dressing room over something like this? It's 2018 after all. It's a great question. I, I would like to think that this decision is based on footballing reasons and, and footballing alone, which is what Keith Alexander and Paul Ince were. Um, Paul Ince was a marquee signing, which so, so Campbell might That's be seen profile, as that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So in terms of profile, it might be something that draws positive attention to the club, but certainly not because of the colour of his skin. The, the one thing you'll have is the dressing room. He's got a couple of really good guys in there. Danny Whitaker um, and uh, Rose, the fullback Michael Rose two really experienced lads that know their way around Manchester Danny Whitaker was ironically when I was playing Danny Whitaker was centre mid for Mac never played with him but had a fantastic career and still driving force so hopefully so kind of brings him in or lends bends his ear for, for some advice because um, knowing that area and knowing how that club works is vital yeah well, good luck to Sol because it, it does take a lot of balls to, to go out, put your neck on the block like that, and, and very much so. and take the jump. So, um, so the festive football 
starts on Friday night, Cardiff Wolves. Now, Wolves, a team that started beautifully this season, mm. looked like a real Rolls-Royce of a side that might finish sort of top seven, top eight, might bother the top six even. Yep. But they've fallen apart a little bit the last few weeks. Um, You've got to you... fancy Cardiff at home as well, haven't you? Yeah, I think you do. Because he's... God, it's one of them. Warnock. Warnock. Uh, just the same old gnarly faces, you know, <laughs> just deflated balloon heads. Um, <laughs> he's, I love Warnock. I do. I love, I love and And the Premier League's a better place for it. And, and he somehow has been able to get through this first half of the season without destru- or the first third of the season without going completely lo- losing his head so <laughs> if they get a little if they smell blood and they get, they get an opportunity to kind of take some points off I think Wolves he owes him from remember yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, remember that game last season I do remember that game last season that so was this is wonderful a big meeting of championship from, from chasing last him season. off the pitch this, this, this blinding, one. refusing handshakes so. yeah all power or not and if you're looking at uh, teams that are sort of more diminutive and, and technical Wolves might not fancy that game. That might be a really tough one for them. Well, you're absolutely right. Putting doubt in any team's mind doesn't matter how good you are. You've got to go and... Uh, they, 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 they've almost had their honeymoon period. Yeah. I feel like Cardiff didn't. Cardiff had a really difficult start. Definitely. And they're kind of finding a little bit of momentum. Definitely. Um, so, yeah, Saturday's games, Sunday, Tuesday, they all sort of bleed in together. Wednesday as well. This is where squad depth comes into it. And this is where games like Palace, Burnley, all of a sudden mm. become, you know, huge. Huge. I mean, is it too early to say six pointers for those two teams? Yeah, I don't know. Burnley, you've they've just lost their way, haven't they? And and the the, the caliber of teams they're up against. You're talking about um, just Newcastle, a resurgent Newcastle is a dangerous thing to to, to opposition teams. Palace again find mm. a way to do it. So yeah. you know, keeping a half fit is vital. But there's other players in the and they're really good pros. Um, Burnley need. Burnley need to start pulling, putting performances in because I, I think, and it's not to the, it's not to the chagrin of Daesh. I don't think he'll, I don't think his head's on the he's block. He's not in danger, is he? No, he can't be. He can't if be. he's in danger, football is gone. Yeah. Football's finished. No, correct. So uh, we'll see how that. That is a massive game. Uh, Burnley coming off a, a home loss to Newcastle last night, yeah, as yeah, we yeah, record. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, just want to bring that up because we saw one of the worst misses. For a long I was, time, I Matt was Ritchie. Flying at the time. Um, I'll describe it to you quickly. Uh, Matt Louton at the back post. The ball's coming across. Matt Louton at the back post misses it. So I'll give him that, that he's maybe waiting for the defender to do something. But but Ritchie pretty much misses an open goal from less than two yards. Which makes me ask, as an ex-pro, Martin, what's your worst ever miss? <laughs> you were a striker, oh, so there must be a few. Do you know, I've been asked this before, and I say this... <laughs> I say it's this weird, answer. I don't ask you what your best goal is. Do you know? Do you know? I have to tell you this story because it's preposterous, and it it doesn't even. It was before. It was in the warm up, right? We're away at Accrington for Chesterfield. I really hope someone picks because this is because this is. First of all, I have to caveat this. This is really. It was a bad, bad thing that happened. So we're warming you up. Killed someone? Maybe. <laughs> it never got clarified. So if I have, can someone please uh, just anyone respond? Just someone. Just anyone. Um, we're playing Accrington away. The manager. Uh, the manager didn't like. Who Sheridan at the time? John Sheridan was like going. Um, base didn't really want me in his team. Or was it Lee Richardson? It might have been Lee Richardson. Anyway. Get on with a story, the, mate. No, because it's important. Because the assistant manager, Scott Sellers, was warming up the strikers, right? Mm-hmm. So Scott Sellers is there into an open goal at Accrington. The pitch is bobbling, so it's rock hard in the season. We'd missed that in the playoffs by like a point. Mm-hmm. So there were fans were baiting blood. They were behind the goal. So we're shooting into this empty goal. So he gets the subkeeper to go in and goes, and he goes, I'm not going in goal. It's too hard. And he goes, go in goal. He goes, the ground's too hard. I'll hurt myself. He went, 
but that's your job. He goes, yeah, but I've only got a week left on my contract. So it was just before the end of the season. So this guy goes, I'm not injuring myself in a warm-up yeah, yeah. for you for the your strikers. Fair. So he walked off. So Scott Sellers, I'm laying balls into Scott Sellers and he's going, and, and the ball's bobbling and the fans are booing and we've just missed out and I can't get in the team. And the goal looks like the size of a tiny little five or so, barely could fit one football in it. So I'm going, just concentrate, just concentrate. And Sellers is like going, just hit it. Why are you not hitting the ball? I'm like, oh, gosh, this isn't real. Yeah, There's no yeah. goalkeeper. So anyway, next I go up and I scalp one, right? Yep. And it comes off. I'd like to say it bobbled because I side-footed it and side-footed of death <laughs> and it goes like an exorcet into the crowd mm. and there's this old woman yeah, holding God. a cup of cocoa or whatever and with her family around her and it hits her square in the face smashes her glasses <laughs> knocks her clean over mm. right and I turn around and I'm going this is this can't be happening yeah. and the fans are just like they're not even burning her because they're just like oh. yeah. so I have to, Scott Sellers goes you've got to go up there and I go They'll lynch me. I'll get killed. He goes, you're hitting a woman in the face with a football. But surrounded by a family, good way to die. Mm, don't joke, because <laughs> she might well have. So, because she got taken away in a St. John's ambulance. So That's I had not to be an ambulance, though, man. They're just, <laughs> they're just some guys in Amateurs. green. Amateurs. Yeah. So I have to walk up there, and I go up, and I'm just like, I am more... And the worst thing about walking up through the stand in boots I don't, is it's really hard yeah, yeah, to yeah. walk. Like so I was like, if I'm going to fall over as well, this just kind of completes the... The, the shame thank god 2010 was like a, a dearth that was like kind of the that was a year Twitter was a year in people didn't know what was going on so I would have got absolutely lynched I mean I, might, I still might this story might bury me but in terms of bad shots that haunts me yeah so actually me. Matt Richie isn't the worst miss no I, well <laughs> I don't think he didn't hospital, hospitalise an old woman no not so, on the pitch but there you go How, what was yours um well, mine, I, I wasn't ever professional, but I was semi-pro in youth. Um, it still hurts, mate. It still hurts. Yeah, it does still hurt. There's a couple, actually. I'm, I wasn't particularly composed, mate. Very much uh, rush of blood to the head. Tubble, just tubble on feet. Yeah, yeah. All over the pitch, fine. I get, if I can sniff the goal, it, it could go anywhere. Oh, it could great. go anywhere. Um, <laughs> moving on uh, to Sunday, which Sky are billing as Derby Day. We've got uh, Chelsea Fulham, the West London Derby, Arsenal Spurs, North London Derby, and Liverpool Everton. Um, Chelsea Spurs, Liverpool. Next. Okay. <laughs> is, that, is, that, is, that, is that all we're doing there? That's well, fine. Well, no, 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 I'm happy to go through it, but uh, we've got, a, I don't think we we've need got to. a wonderful feature coming up in the second half that I just want uh, to yeah, kind of... That's, that's right. We've got... Uh, we've got yeah, it is a very interesting man, one. ITK, very much in the know. Very much. Miguel very much Delaney, ITK. Friend of the pod. Friend of the pod, friend of... Just friend just of... Just a friend. Just, just a friend friendly of guy. Um, any more games you want to talk about, Grits? Uh, not... Not off the top of my head. As I said, I've been up for 36 hours. Don't make so. excuses, mate. It's okay. You're no, all right. Okay. If you're done um, professional, don't be professional. Ooh. Well, you, as you've said, the Derby's absolute ding-dongs this weekend. I, I, I think it's going to be interesting because, obviously, Fulham are going to get beat by Chelsea. But um, Fulham under... Um, Ranieri. Against. Sorry. Yeah, there you go. It's an abs- it's belter. So it's just a nice it's a nice one for him to go back there. I think so. Because I think the Chelsea fans still love him. Who doesn't love Ranieri? Yeah, of course. Uh, he's, a, then, he's the most likable man in the history of the And Premier Arsenal League. have the ability to tear Tottenham or give them the that's give the, that's, that's, that, that's the game. That's the game to pick for the weekend, I think. Arsenal Spurs. Um with that in mind, uh we're gonna go to a break now. After the break, we'll have Miguel Delaney. The whistleblowers is lubricated by Watney's Pale Ale. Watney's Pale Ale. The whistleblowers, beer of the month.
The Whistleblowers is back for the season by Labrooks. Uh, welcome back. This is the second part of the Whistleblowers podcast with me, Mark Smith, and Martin Gritton. Uh, now we've got, I think, what is quite a special feature. We've got Miguel Delaney from the Independent Newspaper. Um, he's been over in Argentina to cover the Copa Libertadores between Boca and River Plate. Um, this is quite an interesting chat, so stick with it. Very good. So, uh, Mig, just to start us off, basically you've been chatting about a game that didn't happen for the last week, so uh, we'll try and be as, as brief as we can, but at the same time, a fascinating uh, situation. How, uh, just run us, run us through kind of what happened and your experiences. Yeah, um, I mean, in some ways, <laughs> the game actually not happening almost makes it a better story and a, and almost kind of more fitting with entire Argentine football culture right now. Mm. Uh, given, I suppose, let's be honest, part of the appeal to come in this game was the extent of the rivalry, uh, only for that to, to spill over. I mean, it was so odd being in the city for the, the few days being up to that, just because you, you, you did notice just how gripped by tension the entire city was and that no one wanted to talk about the game. The interview that said to us basically, you know, it's, um, I, I don't want to jinx it. So one taxi driver said, you know, I, I'd, I'd sell my soul to the devil mm. for a result tomorrow. All all of this. And it, like, it felt like one of those occasions where the rivalry is so intense and there's so much going on, so much behind the scenes that the cost of defeat weighed basically any benefit from victory. That kind of, that, that, Pervaded over everything, it did, and because it, it, sorry, it was almost on. it was almost too big a game to actually happen, which is it, it, and that 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 kind of came out in, in or it was vented in one way, which was the attack. Um, but that almost now feels inevitable after it. Mm. Did in in terms of your role in it for for journalists and for the media, did you guys feel a part of it? involved in that or onlookers because it kind of came across and I was I was following obviously yourself and and Joshua and Rory and and uh, uh Wilson who was out there just it was really great coverage but at the same time it looked a bit terrifying to be honest uh we I suppose we were insulated enough from it. I mean we got to the myself and Rory got to the bucket trading on Thursday which is a huge event in itself and amazing to be at um and I and for, we didn't go into the journalism uh uh, section, or we didn't go to the press section first, so we actually ended up in one of the stands with the fans, although by accident. But that was kind of an experience. Uh, although it, you could see, I mean, it was pretty dangerous as well, to be honest. It was a bit like there wasn't much crowd control. There was fans obviously cr- cramming into the area, stairwells blocked, and we tried to get out. One fan right in front of us tried to hop a, a 15 foot glass fence to get into an even more packed area, <laughs> fell and, and completely snotted himself. There's all these pictures of kind of fans then perched perched on, on 20 high fences and all this and I suppose you know from, on one level this is kind of the, you know the, <laughs> the great passion that we're there for and uh, on, on the flip side of that is then what we saw they kind of delivered so much that we saw the attack on, on Saturday um, we'd been walking with we, we got to the ground about half one on the Saturday when the, the final was meant to initially meant to be played at 5pm Argentine time and there was already tons of River fans around Already, you know, a few, a few crushes and trying to get through. Um, but then, so we, we got into the stadium at two o'clock eventually. And then word broke that around three, there had been like some sort of attack of the bus. We initially kind of brushed it off until it became more and more apparent that this had actually been serious. The, the images came true of kind of the players retching from tear gas that got into the bus. And then it was a case that like... That was that was kind of almost the most gripping part of it. The three hours between the attack and the game finally getting called off, 
and what actually happened and all the info that was going to filter and true over whether it would go ahead. You know, the story that Conmebol, the South American Federation and FIFA, uh, as this, is, this is literally what Carlos Tevez and Fernando Gago said, they were under pressure to play from Conmebol and FIFA. Um, and so this, this, this is the thing. I mean, the match was so big, there was massive pressure for it to happen. But that was also why it ultimately couldn't happen. Because um, then I suppose they were in a bit of a bind then. Because on one side, you know, there was already 60,000 River fans in the stadium, already a huge anticipation for this game. Finally, the eyes of the world in South America, you know, after, you know, now that all their stars are pretty much in Europe. Yeah, on the other side, had they played that game on Saturday and Boca had lost, it would have had some legal claim. All of that now could happen. Uh, like just just this just this afternoon, the story from South America is that they're trying to move the the game will be played on the eighth or ninth. It won't be in Argentina though; it'll be on a neutral venue, maybe Miami, maybe Paraguay, maybe Abu Dhabi, maybe even Genoa. But Boca are actually already they're willing to go to the court court of arbitration for sport to to battle this. Uh, and I, to be honest, I actually think um, at the minute that happened, basically. River should have been. I mean, there's an argument River shouldn't even be in the final because of previous transgressions in this campaign. But Boca should have got the walkover, and that could have made for the uh, amazing side of the injured Boca captain Pablo Perez, who got who suffered an eye injury in in the buzz attack, receiving the trophy in front of sixty thousand River fans without a game being played. But that that's arguably what should have happened. Yeah, I mean, where does this? Where does this rank in terms of the games you've been to domestically, or is this a completely different planet entirely? Well, there was no game. <laughs> no, of course, uh, the, the atmosphere. In, 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 in terms of the story, it's one of the most fascinating I've ever covered. I'd say, like, I, like to be to be there on a Saturday, and you're going to like this is unlike anything I've ever done. And even like I was thinking about it, like it was, it was one of those things when we were writing about it. There was so it was actually difficult to write about because there was so many strands you had to bring in together. Like obviously, there's the kind of whole River Boca rivalry, which is huge in itself. Then there's kind of the culture of violence around Argentine football. Uh, like I mean, so, so, this is the thing: that bus attack was actually mild in the context of Argentina, because in the last ten years, does this does this website that basically tracks this for the good of Argentine football, basically the amount of violence that happened in the game, and the last ten years alone, going going back from the date of the bus attack, there'd been 93 deaths deaths in a. Um, in Argentine football. And then on top of that, you've got like the, as I mentioned, the, the pressure from the federations, this context of trying to, we actually, uh, myself and the kind of three other uh, Anglophone journalists there, we had, a, we had an interview with the president of Conmebol on the Friday, was, was talking so much about making a competition to rival the Champions League again and keeping all the best mm. stars in, in Argentina. So there was all that. And then as well as that, <laughs> there was the extra level of politics. There was the fact that the G20 is taking place in Buenos Aires on Thursday. And that was one reason the game was on the Saturday, because they couldn't have it on the initially scheduled date for the Wednesday. And on top of that, the Argentinian president, who will be president of the G20, of course, is a former Boca president. Uh, so, I mean, it's, there's just so much to it. And it, it, it did, and in some ways, it's almost a bigger story for the if the game never takes place. Mm. Now, we see, we see a lot of South American footballers come to Europe quite early in their careers. How much of it would you put down to career aspirations and how much is it down to domestic unrest and this sort of um, instability within the domestic game? Well, I suppose, I mean, to be fair, most of it is ultimately money uh, and because you know, South America just can't compete in that regard. But then one of the reasons it can't compete is because of this dysfunction. And, and that's one thing um, the, the President Conrad said to us, basically, over the last 30 years, we used to be keeping all our best players, but... Europe did a lot of things right. UEFA did a lot, and, and we didn't. 
and we have to try and catch up with that. So, I mean, yeah, it, it, it does feed into it. And, and the reason Europe makes more money, I suppose, is partly because of that, right? because so much of South American football is in utter chaos. And that, that's kind of maybe the slight tragedy of this event for them, beyond the fact that this match never took place. It was meant to be the great exhibition mm. Of all that is good about South American football, but ends up being confirming everyone's worst expectations and showed everything bad about it. Well, that's it. So we'll we'll wait and see what happens next because uh, it sounds like there's plenty of options on the table. But yeah. listen, thanks. One well, for... well, of them, the game could be in Medellin in Colombia. Wouldn't mind that trip. Yeah. Well, there you go. <laughs> will you be Will you be able to get on the next trip? Or uh... Uh, I don't know. It depends. I mean, at the moment, it's for the eighth and ninth of December, but entirely. <laughs> I'm sure the whistleblowers. I'm sure the ha- we'll be happy to send you out there, Miguel. What news? What news might, what send, news you? might send you out there? We've got, go, go, we've got go. a couple of sponsors and pick up the tab. <laughs> Don't worry about that. But yeah. um, no, listen. Thanks a lot for coming on. And I'd, I'd just like to say, you talk about the the European money, but you wrote a great piece on Tevez, which kind of counteracted that. Um, where you got some great chats with people talking about. Yeah, maybe, yeah. maybe he wasn't motivated by by money, which is something that people wouldn't necessarily say about Tevez. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, I'd urge. Well, we'll link it to this piece. Anyway, to but thanks for your time, Miguel, and get back, oh, get yourself back on jet lag. <laughs> Cheers, Miguel. Cheers, Paul. Cheers. Thanks, Miguel, for that. Uh, brilliant to speak to him as always. Hopefully, have him back on the pod soon. Uh, thanks again, Mark Smith. For thank you very much. Good speaking to you, and uh, hopefully see you before too long. Not sure the next schedule, but we'll be back very soon with more. I've got a little baby now, mate. I've got I've got things to take care of. Oh my god, of. I didn't even do that. That's what I meant to do. That was yeah, the only thing I meant to do. Uh, congratulations to Mark for uh, we little. Call, Louis. We called him Martin Gritton. Thank you. You don't mind, do you? No, no. I, I, I'd have been, Six four. I'd have been a strapping young lad. Your poor wife. <laughs> and that seems like a fitting place to leave it. Uh, we'll be back with more whistleblowers soon. Cheers. This is a Playback Media production. To listen to all our football podcasts, visit playbackmedia.co.uk. The Whistleblowers is back for the season by Labrooks. Sports Social Podcast Network.